don't intentionally cause destruction and don't mm. and don't through your willful ignorance allow destruction to continue but know that you're going to keep making mistakes and those are not any great obstacle to god and own what you've done and grow and learn and be mature and continue to grow in maturity uh, and continue to grow into yourself and be yourself and let goodness and freedom and love and hope and joy be manifest ever more and more in your life. And that's what the spirit is drawing you towards. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 131. This time we're doing another fun switch around where my friend Anthony is the host and I am the guest. And uh, we're going to talk about why that is. And we're going to talk all about uh, why men's devotionals are so bad. And actually we, oh man, this is one of my favorite conversations ever I've had here on the podcast. Uh, we talk about such a whole range of things from overworking ourselves to expressing emotions as men, the images of masculine violence that we grew up with, how the church and purity culture began to do bad things, further bad things to our masculinity. And then we we get into, we talk about sin, original sin, whether sin separates us from God, what we, how we handle the mistakes that we make in life while trying to live into Christ in abundance and joy. And honestly, uh, I, I commend this to you. We get, you know, kind of in, in the weeds of masculinity for about the first half, and then we get into some really, really fun theological places in the second half. It's probably important to point out that we recorded this back in the summer, not long after I had spoken with Holly Oxhandler, who was the most recent interview here on the show talking about limits and the things we need to put into our life to maintain an awareness of the divine within us. When I talk about having cut out coffee and alcohol, that was in that space that I was at in the summer. Yeah, and, and, I, and I can thankfully report now that a few months later, I'm in a much better place. I'm sure you can hear that in my tone of voice. Uh, once we get into this, you're going to be like, oh, wow, Jonathan sounds really bleak and dead. And yeah, I was, I was in a hard space. So we, we get honest about that. And I'm happy to report I'm in a much better space today. Uh, thank you, Anthony, for making this happen. Let's get into it. Once again, I'm welcoming a alternate host to the show. Come I'm on. gonna be I'm gonna be the guest, and my good friend Anthony is gonna interview me, just like we did a couple of years ago for You Are Enough. Uh, if you haven't listened to that interview, it's a really special conversation. Anthony and I go way, way back, and we hadn't seen each other in a few years. And we ended up, he, he's a, an amazing speaker, and, and he was speaking at an event in my city. And I went to go and listen to him. And then he had just a few minutes available afterwards. So we ended up in a cemetery uh, <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> catching up and honestly some of that conversation propelled me to write you are enough hmm. and then anthony uh came on and, and interviewed me about that and we had a really kind of sacred time 
two years ago now. So, yeah. So this, I, my my new book, I was not going to do a dedicated episode for, but Anthony has been reading it and loving it, and and said he 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 thinks we should. So it's it's Anthony's fault that we're doing this. Uh, we he, he said Jonathan, we should do a conversation around uh, men's devotionals and how they don't have to suck like they do normally. They're <laughs> terrible, but they don't strictly have to be. So. <laughs> So we were just we were just catching up before we started recording, and we're kind of chatting about where we're at with our mental health. And 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 Anthony said, "Hey, let's get this on air." Yeah, hey, it's great to be here. And Jonathan, the reason I said we got to get this on air is because I asked you, "How are you doing?" And instead of giving the response that everyone gives, which is, "I'm good, I'm fine, I'm busy," <laughs> that badge of honor of being busy. Instead of any of those responses, you took a deep breath and you said that you're not in a great space right now. And I shared how I haven't been in a good place for the last year or two. You know, I have good days and good afternoons, um, but I've been dealing with depression and anxiety that I've never known before. And hearing you open up and share that is just, I think it's so refreshing um, to be able to talk about the stuff that we're going through. So that's one of the things I appreciate about you. Um, well, mutual, man. I appreciate that. It's fascinating. You know, I, my mother just arrived for a visit for a few months and, and we haven't seen her in four years because she's in New Whoa. Zealand and COVID border, you know, lockdown, all that kind of thing. And, and you know, yesterday I was, I was, I was in a panicky, anxious state and, and, and my mom is sort of like, how can I help? And and I'm just sort of laughing because I'm kind of like, well, this is this is the question that Maya has been asking me for half of our marriage, and I always struggle to frame an answer. And and we're still working through that. But but mum mum was telling me how her father used to have these panic attacks all the time and would would so often essentially oversubscribe himself. And he had such a heart to care for people and to provide. And in all the ways, the accounting day job that he did and all the, the pastoral work that he did, he would often end up just completely uh, overwhelmed and then would try Mm. to go out, you know, for a date with my grandmother and would, would end up sitting in the gutter kind of shaking and just trying to keep himself together. And I'm like, that's me. That's me to a T. Whoa. And, and, and I didn't know that about my grandfather until yesterday. And, and see my father uh, has had a long, long struggle with depression. And I was aware of that. And that, you know, has that shaped a lot of actually my teenage years because my father kind of checked out for a chunk of my young man years because he was just trying to keep himself above water. You know, now I can look at that with grace and compassion, but, but during my teenage years, it was hard to kind of have lost access to my dad before my parents ended up divorcing. And so, uh, yeah, knowing that about my father and having had conversations with my father about his own mother and, and aunts and uncles and other members of his family, there's a fair significant amount of mental health challenges in that side of my family. Well, well now I can see, okay, great. I've got it coming at me from both sides. Hmm. Uh, hooray for that. 
but to be able to but to be able to talk about it because I know there's so many families that it is rampant, but no one talks about it. Mm. And someone has an episode, but it's just not talked about. And how can you process something that you never talk about? Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly it. You can't, uh, if, yeah. If you don't confront it, if you and and confront sounds like an aggressive kind of word. If you don't turn to face the realities, mm. then yeah, they're gonna keep uh, they're gonna keep driving behavior and patterns and systems behind the scenes, uh, sowing destruction. Uh, I, I love that image of, uh, I think it's Super Mario Brothers. I don't know if you played that growing up. Of course. But the ghosts, right? <laughs> In what's, what's the castle? Uh, Bowser's castle, right? When you face the ghosts, they freeze. But when you turn away, they chase you. And it's how many... And how many of us, right, we, we, instead of like facing our feelings and being honest with what we feel, we might self-medicate, we might over-spiritualize and deny it. No, 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 there's nothing wrong because I have Jesus, so I can't be sad. This is not sadness. And we just kind of ignore it and turn away and we're tormented. And so it takes a lot of courage, but yeah, I think this is what it looks like talking about it, being honest about it, journaling about it, which is one thing that really helps me a lot. Yeah. So I'm, I'm literally reading a book right now about journaling uh, mm. or trying to read it. <laughs> I'm struggling, <laughs> but it's by my good friend, Mark Shelsky, and it's a fantastic book. Uh, and it's not out yet. He's given me a pre-release copy and I started trying to give him some feedback until I actually had to message him today. And I was like, look, I'm loving this book and I have feedback for you, but I'm struggling in myself and i know that you can handle hearing that but like i resisted i re I spent the last two weeks resisting sending him that message the one guy who's always like jonathan as much as your capacity allows only ever within your health limits come he, on you know this is this is a guy who who gives those disclaimers up front and i'm still holding back from saying, yeah, actually, I'm in a shitty place. <laughs> and so I finally, and, and then I'm like, but then to actually send him a message, I've got to put the words together. Mm. And I've got to try and cognitively wrap myself around something that I don't actually understand or really like. Mm. I don't want to get, I don't even want to get close enough to it, mm. to put cognitive words to it. So I just recorded a voice memo. I do what my friend Anthony has <laughs> And I never send voice memos, literally until you started sending me voice memos. Like, this, is, this is the future of communication. This is way better. Yeah. And so I'm just like, send this long rambly, hey, I love your book so much. And it's actually what I really need right now, but I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> hmm. So journaling is, I think, uh, something I need to pick back up. You know, there's things we have to pick up and things we have to put down, right? Like, I'm taking a break from coffee and alcohol mm. and I, I have, I have had to do this before. And, you know, for me, they, I, what happens in my body is I get into this, this feedback loop where I'm, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling really low energy and, and depressive. And so I'm like, okay, coffee, coffee will pick me up. Now I'm not the kind of guy who, who has a morning coffee or is addicted, uh, I just really like the flavor of coffee. I hand grind my beans. I'm kind of like a real bougie coffee drinker who's not mm -hmm. 
who doesn't actually need it, but I turn to it and then it picks me up and I'm feeling good for about 45 minutes before it triggers my anxiety. And now mm. I'm shaky, I'm jittery, I'm panicky. And that's drinking half-calf. And so like, if I'm on full bore, it's bad news. Well, then by four or five in the afternoon, I've like, oh, I got to come down. I'm not in a good way. I need a beer. I need a glass of wine. I need a scotch. That will help calm down my body. Mm. But this starts to become a daily cycle that I can't get out of. And mm -hmm. I feel an awareness of what I'm doing. But I'm like, right now, this is better than just being stuck at a low level. Now, I've spent long enough in contemplation and meditation that I'm aware I can actually get back to an equilibrium sometimes through silent contemplation and, and meditation. Mm. But that also requires a certain bandwidth to do that I don't always have. So anyway, all that's to say, I've currently cut out coffee. I've cut out most alcohol. Like, like if I'm sitting down with my family for, I can, might have a glass of wine. That's not the same as day drinking to survive. Oh, <laughs> At man. least that's how I'm justifying it today. You know, no, I, I get it. I get I'm it. dropping those things. And then I'm picking back up some of the rhythms that clearly I need. And again, it's kind of like, there's only so much that you can, that you can do, you know, you can't hustle your way to wholeness, but sometimes you do need to be a little, a little intentional about the systems and rhythms. And that's sort of what I'm trying to like, okay, Jonathan, what do you need? Yeah. Ooh, that is so, that is such a great question. Think about that. Asking yourself, well, Jonathan, what do you need? Anthony, what do you need? Oh my goodness. This idea of like taking care of yourself the way you would take care of a child that you're responsible for, the way you would take care of a child that you love, thinking of yourself as that child and taking care of yourself intentionally. What do I need? Because as a dad, now my kids are older, they're 14 and 15, but when they were young, if they were getting, you know, just kind of wild and, and, and they're just kind of out of sorts, I can recognize as a parent, I can look from the outside and say, you need a nap. And my th three-year-old son would be like, no, I don't need a nap. I don't want a nap. And, you know, spinning around and, and, and in hysterics. And then 15 minutes later, he's sleeping and peaceful and he wakes up and he's good. And so it was up for me to say like, no, 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 this is what you need. And I would enforce that. But now the task of being an adult is parenting ourselves. And so having permission as a parent, as a you know, busy person to pause and, and check in and ask questions like, what is coffee doing to me? What is, why am I drinking so much? And what do I need? I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I and I struggle to articulate that. Uh, mm. Often often to answer that question is challenging for me. I think mm. it can be challenging to, to many people and challenging often to men. Certainly as an Enneagram type two, I my framework is that everybody else has needs and my job is to help meet their needs. That's how Come I serve. On. That's where I fit in the cosmology. <laughs> but but the fact that I have needs, you know, I mean, we've, uh, yeah, I, I, I talk about this on the podcast all the time. So trying to actually sit down for a minute and actually just do it. Okay. Well, I need a hug. I need, uh, and if there's nobody around right now, then I need to wrap my arms and I need to maybe pull down the blanket, pull down the blinds 
and I can still hear the children in the house and I know they're safe and I know my mother's watching them, but I can still hear them. So actually what I need is to go and get my headphones, mm. my headphones in so that I don't hear them. And then I need to put on some very chill Brian Eno so that I can just be okay. And then I can go through my breathing exercises and then I can, <laughs> I can grab a copy of you are enough and actually walk myself back through my own stuff. Right. Like it's, I don't know. It's it, I have this weird relationship with that book where every week people send me their stories about how it's changed their life and how they've found a safety with God that they've never known. You know, maybe they've been religious people and they've never known God is safe and loving. And this book has helped them. Okay. That's great. Praise God. Wonderful. It's a privilege. But for me to read that book for myself often feels weird. Like, you know, do, do, do you listen as a musician to your own music sometimes? Like I, I, I do as a DJ, listen to my own re recordings, but I have this kind of a weird relationship with it. Like, and then, but then it's doubly weird because I wrote this book out of my own journey. So I shouldn't have a weird relationship with it. If anything, it should be like reading my own journal. But there's an aspect of writing that is a craft and is slightly performative. So anyway, I have <laughs> I have a weird relationship with that book, and I I struggle to pick it up and read it for me, which is exactly what I need. So sometimes I just listen to the meditations, and I listen to myself walk myself through the meditations, and that's fine because that doesn't feel like content. That just feels like meditation. <laughs> oh, that that makes so much sense, though, of course. But the fact that you wrote a book out of a place of this is the healing that I needed and this is the healing that worked for me. This is how I came to know God as safe and loving and then giving that to the world. I mean, that's just so beautiful, which is actually the perfect segue into when I heard you were going to write a second book. So You Are Enough had a profound impact on me, um, both that day in the cemetery I was in tears as um, those words, you are enough, whew, were spoken over me. And you walked me through seeing myself as a child. That's the first time I'd ever experienced that. And thinking of myself and parenting myself and what does the four-year-old Anthony need to hear? As you walked me through that, I, I was in tears and it's changed my life. And so when I heard you were going to write another book, I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to see the journey that this book takes me on. <laughs> and then I was a men's devotional and I'm like, yo, <laughs> Puddle sold out, man. He sold out. This is what happens to rappers. They drop like a really good album and then they do some commercial stuff just to make the money. And I'm like, man, Puddle sold out. Gotta pay the bills. <laughs> Gotta pay the bills. I'm like a men's devotional. Come on, man. <laughs> I had the exact same reaction. Did you really? Yeah, I didn't want to write a men's devotional at all. Um, a publisher, a publisher came out came after me. They they saw what I'd done with you enough, and then I guess they'd found my blog as well, and and they just said, "Hey, we're 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 creating a men's devotional. Uh, we're looking for a writer. You know, we've already scoped it out. Um, at least they hadn't scoped out the content. They had just basically scoped out the concept and um, the length and and just a few parameters. But they were looking for someone to come and and do all the all the writing." Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, yeah, no, hard pass. That does not interest me. Because why? Because men, like, okay, A, men's, like you said, already said, men's devotionals are awful. I used to run a Christian <laughs> bookstore. Um, I knew you then. Devotionals knew and that. journals are the, were the bread and butter of the bookstore, but, but specifically to women. 
And men's devotionals are typically about golf or guns and <laughs> have army camo covers and are just full of trite garbage. Yeah. Um, often, often they're like actually quite shaming, you know, and they're mm-hmm. kind of like, like, I don't know if you remember Mark Driscoll back in oh. the day. And, you know, he was so savage. Oh, man. And in his church. And that was his whole grid for how yep. to call men up to a higher standard. And you know what the men did? They loved it. They ate it up ate it until up. until it made them sick. Yeah. You know, and I mean, if anyone who's not listened, listened to that podcast, yeah. Full of Mars Hill, that podcast is a piece of work, uh, man. Uh, anyway, so yeah, men's devotionals are terrible, and and to be honest, like men's ministry is terrible, right? Like the, mm. the who wants to go to breakfast at six a.m. with a bunch of guys? Not me. Mm. No, talk to me about brunch and mimosas at eleven. That's a different. <laughs> but like, yeah. Anyway, so so I, I was kind of like not really that interested, but then uh, Mark Shelsky, who's probably besides you one of the most pivotal friends in my writing relationship, um, my writing career, he said, Jonathan, you could bring something really unique to this space if you wanted to, you know, if you were just yourself. And uh, I think, I think you could do something really fun and interesting. Mm. And so I thought, yeah, maybe I could, you know, and then I kind of thought a bit more about it. And then, and then I found out that I would have no theological gatekeeping at all. And I basically could just pull 365 proof texts (laughs) for my theology and, and that would be okay. And I was like, well, then that, okay, maybe, maybe we could have some fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I still kind of apologize to people when they, when I'm like, yeah, I, I, my new book is called um, Mornings with God. Oh, that's great. I really yeah, love yeah, that it's, idea. It's really cool. Da- daily, daily Bible devotional for, for men. Um, for, for, sorry, I did catch that last part for, um, for, for men. But oh, it's a it's a men's devotion. It's a men's devotion. It is a, okay. It's a men's devotional, but you know, the, but the gendered content is very, 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 very light, as you know. I think there's maybe three or four times where I say something like, "As brothers, as men." <laughs> well, well, this is what I want to jump into because anything that I was so happy when I began reading it, because anything you say about men in this book is addressing like toxic masculinity or an invitation to look at masculinity differently. So on that note, I want to crack open the book that I have been loving. And in the introduction, you say, it is a confusing time for men. Growing up in the 80s, my role models were cool, strong, and unemotional, like Sly Stallone. Today, we're expected to be tender and compassionate, like Paul Rudd. That's not an easy pivot for anyone. Dude, I have to ask you, because that's exactly what it's been in my lifetime. I remember growing up, Sly Stallone and Rambo, and he's just like this, you know, just just being strong and, and not in t- no emotion other than anger. And then this shift that's happened to, to this compassionate person. How did you come up with that specific comparison, Sly Stallone to Paul Rudd? I love introductions for books. I find them really satisfying and fun to write. I know hardly anyone reads them, but I just find them uh, really great fun to to sort of try to to situate my reader if they if they're even going to read it. But I was, I think I, I think I wrote that on the airplane, and I was thinking about my childhood and thinking about my male role models, 
and I, and I, I always had a conflicting relationship with masculinity from, from a young, young age. Like I was not sporty or particularly athletic. And I grew up in New Zealand, which was sports crazy. And, and furthermore, I have big, big emotions and always have, and men are expected to be stoic and cool and calm. And, you know, again, like you said, anger is really the only permitted male emotion for, for a lot of our upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I think like, yeah, w- what do you think about when you think of St- Sly Stallone, right? Like he's angry, he's violent, Rambo, cliffhanger, uh, you know, Rocky. I, I, th- I thought he, he was really a picture, I think, of, of this kind of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than even like Arnold, who I preferred as an actor, but Arnold got really goofy in a, in mm-hmm. a way that I think I actually found very freeing as a child to see mm-hmm. a man silly to see a man pretend to be a woman and pretend to be pregnant like Mm. those are ridiculous movies but they they actually spoke to me in a way that sly stallone has never spoken to me wow Um, well anyway i just was like so where are we at today and then all of a sudden i was like well paul rudd was just like it was a year or two ago that he was like sexiest man alive yeah and i'm like that is insane yeah that is wild that that pivot from from that kind of machismo to kindness to mm. Paul Rudd who throws this big event every year in his hometown and like gives all the money to kids in hospitals and walks through the hospitals and meets kids and is like like by all reports that I have heard Paul Rudd is a genuinely delightful human being yeah yeah and he he he, he uh, I love his pranks on Conan <laughs> right, right, right. If, I mean, if you have not seen his pranks on Conan, just Google Paul Rudd pranks Conan. It's just great. Which is not to say that 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 Sylvester Stallone is is a bad person. But no, of course, I, I of no course. Idea. But but I mean, that's a separate conversation. Uh, either way, nobody told me how to get from A to B on that pivot. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone told any of us how to do it. Right? Like we're out here without a map, without a guide, and we're out here in a in a in a moment, a good, a good and right cultural moment where we are being asked to take a back seat mm-hmm. where we have been said, you know, especially men, you know, of my color and sexuality and gender and everything, you know, you have had the microphone for a really long time. Mm-hmm. You have, you have set the direction of discourse for centuries, for millennia. Mm-hmm. It is time to listen to men and women of color and uh of of different identities and 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 all the Mm -hmm. the different intersect intersections yeah and so not only are white men and all men but not only are are we confused about how to be healthy men we're also Mm. being invited to shut up and listen Mm. which is which is not something many of us are familiar with and and so then you know tragically we see men acting out and 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 lashing out mm. right every single school shooting is a young white male Man. and so these guys are really stuck mm. and clearly really suffering mm. and are then being told you know it's not your turn to talk about your suffering because we need to shine a light on the suffering that's not been talked about for a long 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 time and i am 100% wow. i'm 100% behind that 
Yeah. That yeah. needs to happen. That is right mm-hmm. and good. And I, and, and I, I don't know, man, like I, I feel for these guys. I feel for men. I have, I have compassion and empathy for men, but I also, I don't know. I, it's complex. I, I don't want to go out there and help men. <laughs> I feel like mm. men are the worst. <laughs> I want nothing <laughs> to do with it. <laughs> I like, I like women. I like, I like children. Like men are, I've, I've always felt frustrated by men. So uh, I think it was a, yeah, again, I feel like it was a weird, a weird thing for me to write this book. And yet I was basically like, okay, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to serve it up. I'm going to offer an opportunity for you guys to look at Jesus in scripture. Cause I do not care to write 365 verses that you should memorize and that you should like apply good rules to your life and be a good Bible moralist. I'm like, look, that's not the reason I follow Jesus follow Jesus because I find in him a relentless, tenacious kindness and grace that I need. And it shows me a different way to be a man. And it shows me a way to see power and strength in a whole way that I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, I can spend 365 days pointing you to that Jesus in all the places in scripture that I find him. And maybe Maybe that's a better usage of our time and energy. Mm. I'm so glad it was you because like you said, it's so easy to find devotionals with like, you know, camo and guns and hunting and fishing and we are men. And that just doesn't resonate with me at all. And it's not helpful at all. And for me growing up, I remember, man, like fifth grade, I remember like you're 10 years old and it's about sports, it's about athletics, it's about confidence, it's about being tough, not letting anyone disrespect you. Um, I remember the, the I remember the term, and people still say it today. Yo, you gonna let him talk to you like that? <laughs> totally. Right? Or what about this? I remember this in oh, I don't even want to say it, but I remember this man in like high school and stuff like that. Like, yo, watch your girl. Yo, your girl's like, as in like, put your girl in place. Right. And then you become a dad and it's like, you better have your kids in, under, you know, your kids are in, in submission. You get the other line, don't let them talk back to you. My kids ain't going to talk back to me. I'm going to put them in their place. And all of that, like, don't let your kids talk back to you and make sure you watch your girl and you're going to let him talk to you like that. All of that stuff is the threat of violence. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. It's, it's like, yo, get ready to be violent in order to assert your dominance and your masculinity. Right. And I remember just feeling so unsafe and so scared. I remember I didn't know how to fight. Like I had never like been in a fight. Okay. Actually, hold on, rewind because Chris Ford might be listening and he's going to remember sixth grade gym class. He said it was out of bounds. I said the ball was not out of bounds. And he threw the ball at me and I tried to punch him and he ducked. And it was like the craziest thing that happened in grade six that year. So anyone <laughs> listening from Holy Trinity in Richmond Hill, Ontario, I'm acknowledging the grade six fight that happened in gym class. But aside <laughs> from that, I never, I had never been in a fight. And I remember I was in like 12th grade and I liked a girl, but another guy liked this girl. And he was sending threats to me that he was going to beat me up. He's going to do this, do this. And I was terrified. Yeah. But part of like the code that's like encoded 
in the playground in like grade two is don't ever be vulnerable. Don't ever let anyone see that you're scared or weak. Don't cry. Like you can't, you can't have any weakness and you can't open up about your weakness. And I remember I was terrified that I was going to get beat up. I knew I didn't know how to fight. I'm naturally kind of strong and I, and I happen to be tall. So I'm tall. I'm black. I look athletic. I'm in good shape. I don't know how to fight. And so I'm terrified on the inside. I'm so scared, but I can't tell anyone that. And I feel like that journey of masculinity was so unhealthy for me and was so toxic and destructive. And I see so much um, growth in society and personally and what it means to be a man and, and like looking at what are we saying when we say, get your kids in order? What are, what, what are we actually saying? Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, it's exactly the same. And, and I feel like we were, yeah, we, you had, you, you kind of had only one option or one, I guess one or two options, right? If you, if you were, str- you, a man was strong and violent and unemotional mm-hmm. uh, or you would be called you know homosexual slurs yeah. and mm-hmm. and homophobic terms if you were somehow perceived to be tender or weak mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. if you were to cry then mm-hmm. the worst things you could be called were either a girl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or you know to be called gay using that in a derogatory way yeah mm-hmm. and i'm like it's just really weird like in addition to obviously being toxic and terrible mm-hmm. and stupid, it makes no sense, right? Like I mean, I love women. Like yeah. y- you're married to a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have women in our lives. We have moms. Wh- wh- why would obviously you know? It's like it comes back to I think was it Madonna, right? There's a lyric, somebody has lyrics in their song where it's less like you know it's it's a, a woman can wear man's clothes, but but a man will not wear women's clothes because they feel that that's that's you know somehow revolting or less than mm-hmm. because why because do we think that women are are less than mm. uh, there's obviously there's layers to that but it's just like this is so absurd this is this is so absurd and and yeah so we end up we end up in this space today where where everybody is given being given hopefully more permission to find more ways of occupying space and of identifying their body. But, you know, we're now trying to raise children mm-hmm. in a more open and, and healing and helpful way, but, but while still trying to figure out our shit along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, unless you've spent time with a good therapist and, and a good child psychologist mm-hmm. and uh, a good spiritual director and, you know, all of these things and and maybe uh sexual health and like like all these layers it's like how do we even have a grid for how to be men how to be ourselves how mm-hmm. to foster it you know my 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 son uh my my son's 13 and he's hanging out with uh all kinds of cool people and he's got great friends and and guys and girls and i didn't have any female friends partly because i was scared of being called insults if I spent too much time with girls, which again is weird that guys would even do that. 
and and B, then purity culture kind of swept in for me in the years that I was in church. And it was basically like, oh yeah, you can't have female friendship because it will end in sex. And that would be the worst case outcome. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm now looking at my son uh, who spent all of grade seven, uh, his grade seven class, they put, for whatever reason, all of his guy friends in a different class. And he ended up only with girls that he's known for like most of his school career. And guess who got the best grades this year <laughs> and, mm. and the principal's award for overall excellence, wow. which is like grades and kindness and school oh. spirit and presence. And I'm going, this is amazing. Look at this wow. kid. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing with my kids. It's like the way the world is changing. And I know it's messy and it's sloppy and we're in a time of transition and it's scary because if you say the wrong thing, you'll get canceled and there's confusion. And it's like, I know it's like we're in a time of transition right now. And I do think it's going to, 10 years from now, I think it's going to be in a much healthier, more natural place. But the good that's coming from all of this, uh, people kind of like, you know, talk about woke culture in in a derogatory sense and you know, the woke police and cancel culture and they, and they talk about it in a derogatory sense. And, and I do see when it goes too far, for sure, because there's got to be room for grace and growth and forgiveness. And I say the wrong thing and help me to learn why that's wrong. And then let me give me a chance to reflect on that and then change as a whole. I love when Jesus said, repent, because it's like, yeah, change what you think. You know what I mean? Which, and the Greek in there is not about apologizing. Like it's a, it's change your mind. That's, that's right. Metanoia. Your mind. Yeah, it's it's the paradigm shift. Absolutely. It's funny because now we say repent and people think about like this angry religious preacher, like, oh, you're bad. Have shame. Have... And it's like, no, Jesus walking around saying paradigm shift. You got to change the way you yeah. think. Learn it's... and grow. <laughs> Learn, Learn and grow. <laughs> change That's... your view. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. This is the Jesus I've been looking for my whole life. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um. But this invitation right now into thinking about others, what would it be like to be a gay teenager at my school? What would it be like to be a girl who's told that your breasts make you a temptation to guys? So cave your shoulders and wear sweaters. And if you're wearing a tank top because it's hot, like you're making someone else sin. Your very presence here. You're existing. Your existence as you naturally are, your body that God made is a stumbling block and it is offensive. And you are responsible for that guy over there who's perverted. Like that's bonkers. Like, and, but we were taught this stuff. We were taught this stuff. No, Jesus said, if a guy sinned, if a guy is lusting after, it's it's up to the guy to pluck out his own eye. But we somehow came up with. I did not hear that in youth group. No, I didn't hear that either. No, I was in a youth group in, t- in teenage years, but I heard it later, right? And now having that perspective of empathy, right? Whoever you are, I'm a black man, but if I was a girl, if I was a member of the LGBTQ plus community, wherever I am in my intersection in society, I think right now it's beautiful because we are being invited to think about others, which is what Jesus said. He said, treat other people the way you would want to be treated. Put yourself in that person's shoes. What would it be like to be them? And how can we make a world that is safe for everyone? That's the task of our generation. I see it happening. I see growth. 
And in many ways, I'm very encouraged. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I, I agree immensely. There, I'm a hopeful, optimistic person, and and honestly, I I have been sliding towards cynicism lately. And I was at church on Sunday, and and my friend, our pastor, just said, you know, I think I think God's offering to restore some things to people. Is is there something that you need? What I felt the Spirit say was like, I'm giving you, uh, I'm offering you uh, hope back. Oh. And I was like, oh man, I need that. Mm. So when I'm hopeful, I feel like what we're seeing in the violent outlashing of kind of really fundamentalist conservatism um, and and other labels uh, that might be applied, but 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 this kind of nasty white male thing that's really, I think it's like the last gasp. I, and I hope it's the mm-hmm. last gasp, right? Like, I feel like it's probably still going to get messier before it gets better on, on, on the whole, at least on, 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 a, on a mile high view, there's going to get more rage and chaos still. I don't think we've plumbed the depths of that, unfortunately, but we're already seeing such incredible signs in our youth in our children mm-hmm. um, filtering slowly into our churches <laughs> very slowly but oh wait hold on this is news to me is it filtering into the church oh this is great news i didn't know i know i know a handful of churches good good good, good. that are that are that are that are using the same kind of language good you know what? i shouldn't have done that no, man. no no That's... no it's no honestly I, okay well if you want to repent for yourself fine but <laughs> <laughs> but it's real it's so real I can show you my calendar right now is full every day. I'm having calls with people who are saying, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. But I, yeah. but I do want to hold on to Jesus somehow. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. how, and how have you done it? How did it work for you? Yeah. And, and that's of course is the wrong, I can't answer that question, but I can, I can help uh, them maybe find a way that works for them because <laughs> what, what worked for me is not going to work for them. But this is the part of the thing coming back to our children. I get your children in line, right? It's like, I, I remember um, years back realizing one day I'm going to stand before the creator and my children are going to stand here beside me and I don't get to lord anything over them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just human beings that I was invited to steward for a time. They're gods before they're mine. Mm-hmm. And they'll be gods again. And they're all, and yeah. So I just get to hopefully impart a little bit and hopefully get to heal a little bit of went before me mm. and bring a little bit of redemption. Come on. Uh, and, and, and it, rather than sowing more pain and discord, actually mm. healing some of the breach, Come on. handing them more than I was handed, Come on. which, which is no insult to the generations before me, because hopefully they have been working the same way. And I know for fact that, that my parents handed me more than they were handed. Like for a fact, Mm -hmm. you know, my dad says to me now, he's like, man, the stuff that you are figuring out at your age, this is wild. Yeah. And, and he's like one of my biggest fans. And and he's like, I loved your book. I learned so much on it. I wish I knew these things when I was your age. And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. cool. But, but we continue. Yeah. Yo, this to me, this is the point of life is to take it a little farther than the generation before us. And my mom just came to visit us. Um, so I live in LA now. I grew up in Canada, of course, but I live in LA now. And she came for the first time to visit us this summer. 
And we had some, some powerful um, discussions with my son, who's 15. And, um, you know, my family, you know, she's, she's British. My dad's Jamaican. And, um, and in the British culture and in the Jamaican culture, secrecy around family shame is like the unspoken agreement. You do not speak about the shame that has happened in the family. You don't talk about it. You keep it a secret. You take it to your grave. But um, that's not healthy and it's not good. And we have studies that show that kids who grow up hearing about the ups and downs of their family line, they have more resilience. And when hard times come and they will come, they'll know, well, I know my family's gone through stuff. I know we've gone through stuff and we've survived so I can go through this. Whereas kids that only think like everything's shiny, you know, I never saw my parents arguing and I thought, you know, relationships are supposed to be, and now I'm arguing with the per person that I thought was my soulmate. Maybe we're not meant to be together or all this, all this stuff. <laughs> when you see the reality and you see the brokenness, you see the pain and parents are honest about their mistakes and what they did wrong. That's what happened with, with when, when my mom was here and we had some real heartfelt conversations and, um, she apologized for stuff and I told her kind of what you just said about like no shame on the generation before. My mom grew up in a very abusive home and what she went through was hell as a kid. And she never hit me. She never did. She did better than her parents who probably did better than their parents. Right. Right. And so, and now I've taken all the good that she's given me and I'm giving it to my kids. And so all the good stuff that she did for me, I'm continuing that. And then the stuff that she regrets, I've learned from and I'm trying not to pass that on. And I think that is like the point of existence. Yeah. And you know what that requires? Courage. Mm. Faithfulness. Tenacity. Yeah. Uh, discernment. Mm -hmm. Wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. Talking. Yeah, strategies. Those are things that I think we can say are masculine, should be, can be, are allowed to be masculine values. And yeah. not and not to the exclusion of saying that they're only masculine values and mm. they're not also uh, feminine or, or non-binary values. Mm -hmm. No, we're not saying that. But we can grab hold of those things and say, okay, strength gets to look like this. Yeah. Courage gets to look like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the episode is, you know, I grew up on, on uh, Fresh Prince and mm. there's a, a few episodes that struck me and I, I'm sure did, did to many, you know, one, one where, where Will is, is wrestling with his dad and why his dad, why he wasn't good oh. enough for his dad, you know, and he breaks down and uncle Phil holds him Oh man, that, that wrecked me. But the, the one that comes to mind, is when he goes back home to Philly and, and meets up with the bully on the basketball mm. court and, and, and wills there to, to kind of like uh, right the wrong. And he's planning to, I think, you know, challenge this guy, mm. but this guy's moved on and he's got a bunch of young kids that he's mentoring and, and Will's kind of shouting at him and he's saying, well, what about your reputation? And he's like, well, this is my reputation now. Oh, come on, man. And, and I remember like watching that 13, 14, younger, maybe years old, and just being like, ooh, that is a kind of strength. 
That is a kind of courage. Ah, mm. uh, yeah. I love that. I love that. And that's why I love these conversations that are happening. I don't want to be cynical. That's why I said, oh, I shouldn't have said that about the church. Because, because cynicism is, is, uh, is rearing its ugly head in my heart, too. And I'm going through the same thing where it's like, I don't want a part of some of the stuff that I'm seeing in the evangelical church. Um, but I really want Jesus. But I'm like nauseated and like disgusted by some of the stuff happening in the church. And I need to have more conversations like this. And in your book, one of the things that struck me was this passage that gave me so much life. So I am now going to read to you your own words. And this is from day 21. Created good, still good. Scriptures Genesis 1. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And that's what you wrote. There's a belief held by some folks that all humanity became bad and wretched because of Adam and Eve's original sin. And that creation itself is now cursed. This is what I was taught. I think that gives far too much credit to evil. God called his creation good. So what can stand against that? Are we wounded and in need of healing? Sure. Lost and in need of a savior? Absolutely. But nothing in creation is bad or cursed. God calls us very good. Talk to me about that. Because that's what I was taught. Yeah, same, same, same. That, that's what I was taught. But you know what's crazy? The Orthodox Church weren't, weren't taught that. Oh, wow. As I started digging into some of the church fathers, I was like, huh, there's, there's whole streams within the church that never bought into this idea of, of original sin as a, as a curse that gets passed down simply by the fact that you're born of women and, you know, you are trapped. You never even chose to be born, but by being born, you're now a sinful creature mm -hmm. because of, uh, you know, millennia ago, somebody made a mistake one time. And now because you're humanly born in that line, you are cursed too. And so if you don't manage to find God and opt out of a sin system that you never intentionally opted into in the first place, then you get tortured in hell for all eternity. And we call that the righteousness of God. Ooh, ooh, hold on. I got <laughs> slime on me, man. Let me it's get this. Slimy. It's slimy. Your whole body reacts to that. It's because because yeah. it should, because your body knows it's batshit crazy. And I think the fact is, is there's parts of us that have never forgotten that they're good. Ooh. That we just we just haven't called them good. We just haven't used the language. Because I think, you know, we were given different language. We were, we were, and, and and again, okay, look, don't get me wrong. We have a mountain of evidence around us all day long to, to remind us that we make mistakes and and the logical conclusion we often come to is well i am bad the mm -hmm. fruit of my life seems often so bad that i yeah. must be bad but you're not bad you're good you're just broken you're frail you're afraid you're trying to survive you're trying to do the best you can with what you've got but you're good and you and and if you weren't good you wouldn't care but wow. you, you care and even the fact that you get angry Right. Like, like we get pissed off at any number of things. Okay. Like, 
the things that don't go right. Our children who won't go to my, some of my kids are young and they won't go to bed at night. And I'm like, ah, and I'm missing out on my evening and my plans. Okay. So anger is the emotion we feel when our plans are violated or, or something gets blocked or someone that we care about gets hurt or violated. Okay. Well, that reveals that we care about things, mm. reveals that we have plans. That reveals the very fact that we get angry reveals that we have fundamentally hope filled creatures mm. expect mm. good things to happen. Oh, 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 oh. oh give me a second, man. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. I need to listen back to that, man. That is so good. You know, I've been seeing, um, I've been seeing the, the, uh, the error and the arrogance of um, this idea of the church being the only source of purity and goodness and everything outside of like Christianity is evil. Yeah. And I like just looking at history, you know, this was, this was taught, right? This is how they, uh, you know, yeah, this is, you know, colonialism and all that stuff, conquering the world and every other country. They're savages until we bring them Christianity, right? That's right. And there's no goodness. You know what I mean? So it's, so it's not nothing, like... Nothing of value to be discovered out there. Nothing of value except what we bring, right? So, and when Paul, I guess it's Acts 17 and he's wandering around and um, was it, was it, I can't remember where he was. Maybe it's... When he's talking about the unknown God. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, walking, in, he's in Athens. And I was Athens. just there. And I stood what? in the exact spot where, you know, well, the exact spot, but I stood on Mars Hill, the area. Oh, I guess, my goodness. Where, where Paul has said, You Greeks have a temple to a, an unknown God. Wow. Well, I will tell you about him. <laughs> I will tell you wow. about it. I'll tell you about them, you know. Yeah. Under a term doesn't matter. And, and he said, and he said, um, as some of your own poets have said, some of your poets have gotten it right. That's it. That's right. It. You know, so many people look at it as like everything is bad. Everything is evil. You know what I mean? Like yoga is evil. You know what I'm saying? It's like how is stretching your body and breathing evil? Come on. Are you telling me that that in all of the beautiful cultures in the world, you're telling me none of it was inspired by God except when Christianity came? That is a load of junk. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's it's genuinely junk. <laughs> it's it's so bogus i mean i have okay if, if that's where you've come from don't hear us insult you because i understand we only know what we know mm -hmm. i had a very fragile faith because i believed in a very fragile god Ooh. Ooh. but the bigger my god is god man I don't even, and, and it's, it's, the irony is that, is that I could say, you, know, you, you might say, well, the bigger my God has got, the bigger my faith has got. Sure, my God, my faith has gotten bigger. But, but also, I, I'm just trusting God to catch every last one of us. Hmm. And if, if <laughs> scripture says that uh, in Colossians, that Christ holds all of creation together, that the very atoms and metaphysical building blocks of the universe are actually sustained actively moment by moment by Christ. And there is nowhere that you can go and nothing that you can do that you can't find Christ somehow active within. 
which doesn't mean that God is to blame for all the bad things, but he's actively present in the bad things and the good things, relentlessly bringing more good out of them. And if we can build a faith on that kind of God, you know, who is present in all things, holding all things together, catching us when we fall, well, that is quite robust, I dare say. Mm. And we can participate in yoga and we can go to Burning Man and we can do all these things that we maybe felt drawn to do because our body knew there was some goodness in it. Come on. That, uh, you know, our leaders didn't understand, mm. parents and our bosses and whomever didn't understand and told us that it would be bad for us. Well, they, mm. they mostly, I think we're looking out for our best interests. Some, mm. of course, were toxic. Some, of course, were manipulative and abusive, but most were just doing what they could with what they knew. But we know more. Mm. And so we can do more. God is, what is it? The, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's, mm. that's what, there's a few verses that are kind of like the bedrock of my faith. And what's funny is I don't even know if I actually covered them all in this book. But my grandparents had Romans 8, 38 to 39 printed on a plaque in their bathroom growing up. And I'm like a three times a day pooper. So three times a day, I would sit there and read this verse. For I am convinced that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There it is. Day 86. Well done. Day 86. Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> I didn't can remember where it was. Wait, can I can I can I share what you said about it, and then I want to hear what you were you were. It's funny because I had this marked, and I wanted to talk to you about it. So I can't believe you just brought it up. So you go on to say in day eighty six, growing up, I was taught that sin separates us from God. The apostle Paul would disagree. What then do we say of sin? I believe it blinds us to the closeness of God's presence. We feel separated from God, so we act as if we were, but it's a lie. God is and has always been right here with you. Mm. That sounds like good theology. I'm glad I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me life. It gives me life. That's the funny thing about writing, right? Is that is that you polish it and you have a team, right? Like not like some of that sentence structure isn't mine, right? My editors mm. refined it and refined it and refined it. Mm. And these these devotional entries are so short. There's they're just the tiniest little nugget. So I, I had I had a great team there that, that helped me with some of that sentence structure, uh, which I think makes it punchier. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Sin separates us from God. That was sort of like the most basic thing that I was that I was taught. Um, and at the same time, I'm sitting there confronted by this plaque in my grandparents' bathroom every all day long. By the way, three times a day. Good on you. Three, That's four very... times even. Yeah, like like a good day is four times. Like it feels like forgiveness of sins to me, man. Like I, I love it. Like I take similar joy in making a bowel movement as I do in like, uh, having my garbage collected each Monday. Like it just mm. brings me great joy. Uh, okay. So Paul breaks it down in, in that verse. It's fantastic. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death, no, no, no make a men see, see if he's covered everything. Okay. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Mm. whatever those are, neither the present nor the future, wow. nor any powers, mm. neither height nor depth, nor 
anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you already had it all, but it's like a lawyer's clause where it's like for all eternity and perpetuity throughout the universe. It's Paul's like, like, I was raised a Pharisee and I can play this game all <laughs> Nothing, 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 nothing. And also nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then and then Ooh. the corollary for that is, uh, is Psalm 139, right? If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, even there your love will find me. So sin cannot separate us from God, actually, in any, in any genuinely, objectively, you know, real sense. And yet, what do we do with the fact that we feel separate from God all the time and the world is full of destruction Sin runs rampant across the earth, like injustice is everywhere. So, so the, what makes sense to me is that sin, you know, sin blinds us to the close presence of God. Sin, you know, which is really just, uh, I mean, sin is, sin, I think increasingly, I think sin is not even a very helpful word because we have mm. some baggage attached with it. So how about we put it this way? You were born into a frail, breakable human body that you didn't choose. So you have only ever been trying to figure out how to survive your entire life long. Uh, and oh. sometimes you have reached for things in, an, in a righteous and sacred attempt to survive because God says choose life. So, so surviving is righteous and sacred. And in your attempt to live righteously, you reached for things that ended oh. up being destructive oh. but you didn't choose that as uh, knowingly you didn't wake up and choose violence so because of our our woundedness our brokenness our frailty we end up making mistakes and that's the human condition that's normal that's okay because it's no curse and it's it's and it's no obstacle to god you know, when you're when your baby filled their diapers, you know, you might not have appreciated the smell, but but you cleaned them. That's what you do. And because that's what babies do. It's in their nature to soil themselves and they don't yet have the capacity to not. And it's in it's your nature and your job, and indeed, I dare say, your great pleasure to clean them and restore them. Mm. And God is no different. God is God is only more that than than we are. So, you know, when, when we feel separate from God, we fear that we are separate from God, and we have a mountain of physical evidence around us to suggest erroneously that we are far from God, that God can't tolerate us. So we just continually live in that stuck, broken kind of place where all we're doing is the best we can. Mm. But the story, I believe, is that when we didn't choose human life and wouldn't because it ends in death and it's horrible, God did choose human life. Mm. Jesus chose to be human mm. and come down here and live this life knowing it would end in death. So he does the, the, what, we, what we won't do, what we don't do, he did. And, and in that process, I, he experiences, I think, what we experience. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, you know, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think God's forsaken him for a minute. How could God forsake God, right? Jesus is the 
what does Paul say? The visible image of the invisible God. So, mm. so Christ, uh, God is in, and, and Paul says God, God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Mm. So, so God has not forsaken him. He's actively present there. But Jesus in his humanity has taken on all the sin of the human race and for the first time ever experiences it the way we do. Mm. He's blinded to the close presence of his father. Wow. But his father has not moved. Wow. Right? Like I can close my eyes and I am blinded to the close digital presence of my friend Anthony. Yeah. (laughs) And you may as well be lost to me, but you haven't moved. Wow. And you're still right here. Wow. Imagine me saying to my son when he was younger, if he if he makes a mistake or he messes up and he does something he shouldn't have done, and he or he makes a mess that he cannot clean up, he gets stuck and he needs help. And I say, that's tough, but now we're separated. You're not gonna see me. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ludicrous. Yes, yeah, somehow you in in doing that, you are granting your son an authority over you. He can't even clean up this mess, but you are then telling him what you have done is so big that I can't overcome it. Wow, right? Like I, I just don't think we have that authority over God. <laughs> Put it that way. So then, what do we say about sin? Is it okay then for us to just like? Go crazy and just sin all we want and lie and cheat and steal and hurt people? What do you say to that? So what's the fruit of those things in your life? Mm. Good about it? Pain, brokenness, right. broken relationships, lack of trust. Absolutely. Does it does it expand? Does it expand your life or does it constrict your life? It constricts. Yeah, yeah it does. Is that abundant life? No. No. No, that is a shadow of life, right? Yeah. So uh so I think the thing the thing that's that's helpful is that we have a, this this wacky conception of freedom that we we when we hear freedom we just hear like open ended outcomes right, right I'm free right. to go and kill and murder and rape and do anything I want and I think again this is the fear that we were often raised with that you know we were given legalistic rules by our leaders and parents and elders and whomever because they didn't want us to use our freedom poorly and and Paul says in Galatians you know it was for freedom that you were set free mm-hmm. don't use your freedom to do stupid things yeah and then, and then he goes on to say uh the only thing that matters is faith worked out through love and then he goes on about love and the fruit of the spirit and joy and kindness and peace. So what are you free to do, Anthony? You are free to love. Yeah. You are free to create life. Yeah. You are free in the same way that God is free. You like God is God is only good. There is no bad in him. And he is completely free. And the most audacious thing I think God ever did was create us with human agency to give us the power and freedom to go and do whatever. But the fact is, in our brokenness, we are not free. We are bound, right? If I'm stuck drinking coffee and alcohol every day, that's not free. I could say, yeah, I'm free to choose this every day. But I bound myself to those things inadvertently trying to survive before they began to reap a destructive cycle in my life. And I'm now bound by them. And so... Christ says, hey, you are free 
and here's your freedom. You have unrestricted access to the power and authority you need to choose goodness. So yeah, like we're going to keep making mistakes. We're going to keep sinning, if that's the word you want to use. But it doesn't really mean anything as such, right? Like in, in, in what does Paul then further say? In as much as it's up to you, like live at peace with everybody. Obviously, don't intentionally cause destruction and don't mm-hmm. and don't through your willful ignorance allow destruction to continue. But know that you're going to keep making mistakes, and those are not any great obstacle to God. And you know, own what you've done and grow and learn and be mature and continue to grow in maturity. Uh, and continue to grow into yourself and be yourself and let goodness and freedom and love and hope and joy be manifest ever more and more in your life. And that's what the spirit is drawing you towards. At least that's what makes sense to me here in 2022. And that Jonathan Puddle is a great podcast right there, man. Hey, listen, I'm, um, everyone, just so you know, I had to talk Jonathan into doing this. <laughs> he he did not want to make an episode about this book. And I contacted him and I'm like, we got to talk. It's true. And I'm, I'm so glad you agreed to it. I'm glad you pushed me. Thank you. You're a good man. You are too. That was really fun. Uh, Thanks, Anthony. What a guy. Friends, if you want to go grab that book, it's called Mornings with God, Daily Bible Devotional for Men. You'll find it linked in the show notes. You'll find it on Amazon. Also, if you want to support me and and what I'm doing, I would really love it if you'd consider becoming a patron. I have lost a good chunk of patrons over the last few months because of folks' own financial circumstances, and and I... totally totally understand that and and if you've had to tap out please don't feel any uh, condemnation from me i totally get that if you are someone who who has a few extra dollars even four or five extra dollars a month it would be such a blessing Uh, 20 or 30 more patrons would would really fill a gap that has opened up for us financially you can do that at patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. You'll also find that linked in the show notes. And uh, I would really appreciate that. Friends, grace and peace to you. Go drop me a line on uh, Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, I guess, uh, at Jonathan Puddle. Let me know how this one lands with you. Uh, if it was life-giving, I would love to hear about that. And if you think I'm totally wrong, uh, go find someone else to tell. <laughs> All right, friends. It's been so great to share with you once again. Trifina and I will be back very soon.